Greetings and welcome to the In His Voice podcast hosted by me, Rob L. Lowe, where we talk about the things that deeply impact the lives of boys and men without ever bashing women. We talk about everything from the playground to the stadium, from the bedroom to the boardroom and everything in between. And today's show, I brought back a guest that we had a, a couple weeks ago. We did a fantastic interview with him, uh, childhood friend, 38 years. Uh, there was so much to cover in that one interview. I couldn't get it all done, so I promised him I would come back. And so this is part two of that interview. Uh, none other than my brother, Michael Ivan Brown, a.k.a. the Hat Ambassador. Thank you. Thank you. Mike, I appreciate it, man. Hey, bro, listen. Hey, every, it's, hey, it's good to be back, man. Hey, man, I'm going to drop a video <laughs> in this segment because before we started filming, I took a view of the background. Okay. All right. right. We yeah. are we're we're on your patio. Yeah. Here in Miami Beach. Right. Last time I was here, uh, about about two three no three weeks now three weeks right. now about three weeks ago, we shot a podcast and we talked about the evolution of Michael Brown becoming the Hat Ambassador in yes. that journey. Yeah. And something we we couldn't talk about on the air. So I want to see if we're able to talk about it now. Okay. There was something you were working on, but we didn't put it on the air then because you were still working out the details mm -hmm. of what's next for you. Okay. Are you able to share that now? Yeah, yeah. I kind of I kind of can talk about it. Just, yeah, we didn't touch on it last time. But, um, yeah, so kind of what's next for me is that uh, here in the near future, within a month or so, I would say, uh, I'll be starting um, a new position for a speakeasy cigar lounge that's going to be coming to uh, Brickell in downtown Miami. That's the place is called lot. Red Phone Booth. Yeah. And I will be the humidor attendant there. So uh, really kind of my next journey in the cigar culture yeah. and in the cigar game, I kind of transitioning from the hat game to the cigar game, which actually is where it all started for me. Yeah. Back in Indianapolis at the tobacco shop back in the early 2000s. And now it's kind of coming full circle as where um, I'll be able to take my certification as a cigar sommelier and take that and uh, be able to provide the best cigar experience you can have possible at uh, Red Phone Booth in Brickell, Miami. Do you uh, listen? I, 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 I've never, ever. You never ever cease to amaze me. Every time I talk to you, like your game just goes elevated. Like we're gonna talk about game, right? Yeah, in, yeah. in this segment, for sure. So, so, so this segment, man, um, man, my, we, you talked about it uh, last time I was here, and you talked about, um, we talked about your book, and we talked about the release of my book. Mm -hmm. And so my book came out. So for those who remember, Mike's book, right? Hats and cigars, flaring and pairing. So check that out. Make sure you cop it if you if you if you think you know about cigars. If you think you know about pairing drinks with a with a with a good cigar, and if you think you know about rocking the right hat, I promise you, when you read this, you're gonna realize how much you still have to learn. The dude's the guru. So check this out. My book came out, and and let me say, man, yeah, congrats to you on hey. the book from. An author to a fellow hey, author now, listen, man. Bro. I, I know what's what's went into this for you. Um, I got my copy the other day. Thank you, thank and, you. And bro. so I've started reading it to to kind of really learn about what I didn't know about you. Yeah, you know what I mean. So 
it, it's amazing to be able to pick this book up and read it. So definitely I encourage anyone that wants to read a story of resilience and perseverance through all the ups and downs that you can go through in life and come out on top. This is the book that you need to get. Hey, bro, listen. So I, I wanted to say congratulations. I, I need to, to pay you, you for that one. That <laughs> I, I need to pay man that listen. Um man, a nineteen year journey. I worked with five or six writers over the years and um God surrounded me with um five amazing people. Four or five and I and I gotta call them out, right? 'Cause this is this is my first public um interview right. that I'm doing and really the podcast is about you but we'll talk it's the first thing that I've done publicly um since the book has been out mm -hmm. um a, a a young lady named um Asia Masonette Asia who lives in um Tallahassee Florida okay a talented writer <clears throat> I was connected with her in in August of this year and I gave her 19 years of work outlines <laughs> transcripts from other people audio tapes wow i even had another version that was written by someone else and i, I didn't like it. it was it was not good mm -hmm. the writing was good but the con the, the context the flow just did not read and i gave it to her and she spent six weeks man with me mm -hmm. interviewing me audio files retelling the stories right. and and we created this thing so asia uh, I told people, I told her that, you know, normally you have a ghostwriter, you don't mention their name. Mm -hmm. If you open up the cover of my book, it says her name, and I gave her a co-writer credits, man, because right. that, okay. that's that's nice. that's how amazing she is. Mm -hmm. uh, and so if you if any of you need a, a book written, she's the one. The second person was Dana Office, a Dana childhood friend, high school. Uh, went to college together. Dana was a graphic artist. Dana did my audio files, interviews, mm -hmm. and then Dana um, did my cover. Okay. She did the logo for my company, the logo for my podcast. Nice. Like, um, and I'm saving the best for last. Well, I'm saving <laughs> important, important for last. They're all the, the best, right? Yeah. And then uh, uh, a brother named Leslie Gray out of Orlando, man, did the photo shoot for me, man. Nice, nice. So I had another brother, Thaddeus, who did a great photo shoot that was promos. But, but Leslie, uh, great photography, did the cover photo. And then last but not least, and dude, you told me about her, but I didn't hear it. Mm -hmm. uh, Danola Burton, mm -hmm. a.k.a. Danola Brown, Mike's Brown, older sister um, of Enhanced DNA Publishing. You know, I told her all the setbacks I had. I told her the financial challenges. I lost a ton of money over the years. Uh, it cost me. It cost me over the years, probably eighteen thousand wow. dollars to finish the book. Wow. That didn't include marketing. That's just what I spent over the yeah, years and yeah. paying people to try to help me get this done. And she was like, "Look, we family, so we, yeah. we we're gonna get it done." Right. Exactly. Right. And and so Danola. If the book sells one or one million copies, I'm just grateful because it was 19 years in the making and you took a chance and, and, and got that done for me. So thank you. So the book is called So What? Keep Going, A Story of Resilience. Um, a lot of people love the book. You know, I, I've, I've got I've got the, the feedback, as you can imagine, like, mm -hmm. is, are the stories true? Yeah. And, you know, the way we wrote the book, I, I wrote the book um, 
so that if 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 I had a good experience, I use the names. Right. If I had a bad experience, I didn't use names. Okay. All right? Because it's not to tear anybody down. Of and I course, didn't want people right. trying to figure out who it was. <laughs> I changed the names of some companies, right? Yeah. I gave a disclaimer in there. I, I took all the right steps because it really wasn't about bashing anyone else as opposed to telling my story. Right, right. But and, there, and that's not what you do on your show, right? You don't yeah, ba- no, you right. You don't bash anybody. Hey, bro, so it's I'm, not I'm, about that. I'm, gl- I'm glad you called that out because yeah. I, I've actually told, I've told some gentlemen that I know that they couldn't be on my show. And they was why I said because I, I, we don't bash we don't bash women on my show. Yeah. And if that's what you think you're gonna get on the show and start airing your dirty laundry and right. bashing like that's that's not what we do. We 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 lift each, we lift men up, we lift women up, we lift families up, right? Exactly. So that's what we exactly. do. Exactly. Exactly. But but the reason why I'm having you on this show again and 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 I did the plug for the book, so it's out there, you guys. It's on Amazon. Um, you can go to my website. It's mystorymedia.com. I do motivational speaking. I do leadership retreats. I have a podcast. If, you know, this is it in his voice. Um, but, dude, we, 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 we have similar journeys, right? Different but similar. We've been knowing each other 38 years. Mm-hmm. Friends, 38 years. Yeah. And stayed in touch, you know, off and on over 38 years, right. more so in the last eight or nine. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. And Mike, like we all grew up in Irvington. And I went to Indiana State. Our other friend went to Ball State. Our other friend went off to the Air Force. Mm-hmm. Another went to Butler. Mm-hmm. But dude, you went way out to Temple. Yeah. Temple. <laughs> yeah. You know, and we and and when you did, we was like, dude, like, you really gonna go to Temple? He was like, yeah, man, I'm going out on the East Coast. Yeah. And and for us that was foreign because we're from Irvington, right, right? Right. The small and here you are like, I come home from school. You're like, yeah, but I just got home from Temple. Yeah. And I remember <laughs> you telling us the stories about Philly and the culture and you know the cheesesteaks. He was like, yeah. yeah, don't get Geno's. Like all that stuff's watered down. You got to go here. And and I went to Philly this year for the first time. Okay. All right. right. <laughs> and and while I was there, I was telling the story about yeah. Mike Brown went to Temple. So now yeah. I'm looking like this is his old stomping ground. Right. Yeah. But that's just one of many examples of, of you and your 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 ability to think outside the box. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. and be like, listen, you know, you you can't box me in. Right. I, at the age of 12, Mike. It's not in the book, but at the age of 12, beginning at 12, I used to wake up in the morning and I would go stand on the railroad tracks. You know the railroad yeah, tracks? Yeah, exactly. So they're not there anymore. Right. It's a path. <laughs> but they used to be railroad tracks. Yeah. And I would stand on the railroad tracks every day before school and I would stare up and down. And I had this this dream, this fantasy. I, I wanted one of those little carts. Right. Because yeah. I, like I, I literally wanted to leave every day. I just wanted to get on it and go wherever the tracks would take me. Right. I was always scared, though, because I was afraid I was going to end up in, in a neighborhood or in a city <laughs> that didn't nobody look like me. And, right. Uh, but, but I dream. Yeah. And I dreamed of leaving Indianapolis, man. Mm. I dream. Dude, you left Indiana. You went to Temple. Mm-hmm. I want to understand your motivation, man. I, like, even, <laughs> even back then, man, what made you decide to go to Temple? What made you? We talked about what made you come to Miami. Mm-hmm. Like, what about you that said... In order for me to be the man I need to be to have the life that I want, I got to make some drastic changes. Well, I don't even think it was that cut and dry. Well, or or it was that deep back, okay. back then for me. Um, I think a lot of that 
probably came from my childhood growing up. Um, I traveled a lot. My dad was a minister and was very um, recognized in the church and the church community. Every summer we would go to church con uh, conferences and stuff like that. So we would travel every summer and go places. So I think I, at, at an early age, I kind of always had a sense of travel and going places. Okay. So for me, choosing to leave Indianapolis and go out of state for college and go somewhere as far as like Philadelphia and Temple wasn't a stretch for me. Okay. Because I had been around, I had seen some things, I'd been to different cities, and so, but, and, and so it wasn't that hard for me from that standpoint. But the main reason, the funny story, the main reason I went to Temple. Okay, I never knew the story probably, let's hear. Was because, of course you know, because you know me, at a young age, going back to, I think it's when I can remember as a kid I was always writing and I was all and and so that writing turned into rapping as a young dude my older brother who lived in the house with me before he would go out on the weekends he would listen to rapper's delight okay Ronald or, or yeah, Ronald Ronald, yeah. Ronald! so <laughs> When he would leave and go out, I would go in his room and put his records on, and I would listen to Rapper's Delight, and I fell in love with hip-hop from Ooh. the moment I heard Rapper's Delight. Ooh. And, of course, if you know, at that time, back in the late, you know, back in the late 80s, hip-hop was really starting to um, come into its own. I mean, if, you know, at that time, hip-hop was a new thing, and so for me... That's what I gravitated to. Um, and so I basically chose where I went to college based on I wanted to be, first of all, I wanted to go to New York. And okay. so at first I wanted to apply to St. John's. Okay. But my dad said, no, we're not going to do that. They don't have on-campus housing. So... And I wanted to go to New York because New York was the mecca of rap. Yeah, yeah. And so I felt like, for me, to be as close as I could be to the mecca of rap would enhance my rap career. And kind of, you know, unfortunately, school was kind of secondary to me wanting to further my desire to be a rapper. So because I couldn't go to New York and at the time the Cosby show was big yeah. on TV yeah. and Bill Cosby went to Temple. And so that was my connection to, okay, I can't go to New York. I'll go to Philly and I'll go to Temple. So I went to Temple and um, kind of strange in the fact that, like I said, in, in my mind, I was going to the East Coast to be more in tune with 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 the rap mecca and and kind of somehow started my rap career but coincidentally my rap career got put on hold while I was at Philly while uh. I was at Temple I really didn't pursue it like I thought I would yeah um school was more important I was trying to achieve um 
you know, what I was supposed to do in school, not only for myself, but for my dad as well. Yeah. But it didn't work out for me. Okay. Of course, going out of state, I was paying out of state tuition. Yeah. Um, and the way my family dynamic was at that time, my dad was retiring. Yeah. And so just didn't have the money to be able to keep being able to finance going to Temple. So I came home. Yeah. After that. And that's when the rap career took off for me was when I came back home. Well, well Paul, before we go to the rap, yeah. when you came back after one year, dude, I kid you not. Uh, you were the same, but you were different. And what I mean by that is it was clear to us that you had been exposed to to a whole new culture, a whole new dialect, a whole new dress style. Yeah, like, yeah. like you came back, man, yeah. and like your whole demeanor was like, I, yo. Like, I would say those those two years I spent at Temple, I grew up a lot. Okay. You know, um, first time being out on my own, being out on my own in a totally foreign place. Um, you know, trying to learn the ins and outs of this new city I was in, you know, trying to figure out college life. Yeah. But also trying to figure out who I was. Okay. And who I was trying to be. So I think I learned a lot about myself. I grew up a lot being on my own during that time. And I think a lot of that kind of laid the foundation for me as far as me going forward you know um so yeah a lot changed for me then um you know you talk about the dialect the just the 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 the, the vibe the way i dressed etc was different because i was in a totally different place in indiana it was totally yeah. different and for me i found early on when i got there i had to adapt to my environment Okay. Because I was clear, I stood out. Wow. I was, I was clearly different. Yeah. I was clearly from somewhere else. Yeah. And I found, you know, on the East Coast at that time, all of those attributes could be seen as a sign of weakness. Yeah, yeah. You know, so I was fortunate to have friends that I came across at Temple that helped me. Yeah that helped guide me uh -huh. to understand how to make it on the East Coast, uh -huh. how to not get singled out, how to not get picked on or bullied, uh -huh. you know what I'm saying? Uh -huh. um, because, like I said, it was obvious that I was from somewhere else. Yeah. I wasn't from there. So it was easy to to be the outcast. But I had friends that, that helped me... Um, get acclimated to help me survive out there really you know what i'm saying i i had a roommate who was from brooklyn new york you know what i mean so he helped me a lot in okay. showing me how to move on the east coast how to live out there how to how to, you know what to do how to act okay which i was totally green to all that coming yeah. from i mean come on man i mean <laughs> coming from indianapolis going to philly yeah i was clueless yeah you know but I was able to get through it. it. It helped me a lot because I was able to grow um, in ways that I'm sure I wouldn't have been if I had have went to school in Indiana and stayed in Indiana. 
All right, so now now you're back in Indianapolis. Yeah. And and on this show, we got we got to talk about. Listen, the rest of the show, we, we we'll probably talk about Mo Green. <laughs> right. The 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 evolution of Mike Chill. Yeah. To um, hold on, what's the one in between? So no, a, that was it. That Mike was Chill it. and and then Mo Green. Yeah, that was it. And um, y- you know my 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 my. Louisville Slugger, right? Massacre right. on Thirty Eighth Street. Exactly. So, so talk about the so, rap career, man. So, so when I got so, the rap career for me started back in junior high. I was doing shows in junior high and rapping back in junior high. When I got to to how high school, um, I was still doing that. I started a group. I think maybe my freshman or sophomore year at how I started a group there probably my freshman year we were traveling around doing shows um and everything and and you uh, could dj too i was was djing at the time as well yeah i remember djing the high school prom one year and so that group broke up uh some of the guys that was in the group were older um so they were leaving school i was still there and so i no longer had a group and um i had been hearing rumors and a lot of talk about another cat that was at the school who was rapping and everybody was talking about this dude and you know after school in the ciphers he was the one that was always winning the rap battle so I went and sought this dude out and I saw him one day and how we had a talent show coming up so I approached him one day he kind of knew who I was, just like I knew who he was through word of mouth and people talking about us. People knew me at the time uh, for rapping. And so I asked him if he wanted to be in the talent show with me and be, and be in the group. And so that was in 88. And that's when my rap career really started. So fast forward, I go to Temple, I come back. Yeah. When I come back from Temple, tried to do my thing, tried to finish school, tried to work, et cetera, and, but I still had the passion for rapping. So coincidentally, I ended up leaving school, put all my efforts and energy into rapping, and um, we started making music. You know, if, if you hear my partner tell the story, He'll always tell you that as far as he's concerned, I'm the one that brought a structure to the rap game as far as me and him were concerned. He was always a battle rapper, but I always wrote songs. Uh. And so I kind of brought that to the table in that anything we were doing, we were going to record songs. And so that's what we started doing. As you mentioned, when we first started, when I got back from Temple, we, we created the name of the group as being dead on arrival dead on arrival and so we were and and that was like i said 91 uh in 90 91 so when gangster rap started hitting nwa it came out we created a group called dead on arrival and we were going to be gangster rappers okay okay now you know me and you kind of know part of my life. I really wasn't in that gangster life. There were times right. and there were people I associated with <laughs> that, were, that were in the game and I was involved in the game as well. 
but not to the extent that they okay, were. Okay, right. I but, got you. But I was always right. I was in circles that allowed me to see what the game looked like. Okay. Okay, whether if it was here and there that I was in it or seeing everybody else around me that was in it. And so that's where we took the material for our music Okay. from was being in that. So we had songs early on like Massacre on 38th Street. That's my favorite. Louisville Slugger. My other favorite. Things like that. If you ever but, find them, dude, please remaster them and give them to me. We had an opportunity. We we had um, got with some dudes who were willing to uh, finance an album for us. Yeah. And so um, we got in the studio, started recording our first album that was released in 1994 under Dead on Arrival called Putting in Work. Okay. And got some notoriety and acclaim from that album. We were in the, 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 the local newspaper. Yeah. Um for that music and so we were getting recognized locally uh for that music but my eyes were always i had aspirations not just to be a local artist yeah but to be a nationwide artist right so that were always my aspiration and my plans to do so being uh, you know getting some notoriety locally wasn't on my site that was cool but that wasn't what i was trying to achieve i was trying to go bigger than that so after we released our first album, we were continuing to work and, and we're working on a new album. And we had, had gotten with um, some new people in terms of that we're going to produce the albums and put together the, the financing for the music. And at that time, we decided on a name change. So we transitioned from, and back then, my rap name was Mike Chill. And so then we transitioned to our the name of the group being Game Clinic. Okay. And I changed my my rap name to Money Green. Money Green. And shortened that to be Mo Green because a lot of what we did was we took our material or our persona from mafia movies. Okay. And from that mafia lifestyle. Okay. So if you remember the the, the famous mafia movie. Goodfellas. Uh-huh. There was a character in that movie who was named Mo Green. And so, so I shortened the Money Green to Mo Green. Okay. And, and went off that. And so that's also what brought me to Miami Beach as well. Ah. Because I came to Miami Beach the first time in 1995 for a rap convention called How Can I Be Down Conference. Yeah. And when I when I got off the plane and I got to South Beach, I totally fell in love with it. And so I knew from that first time that I came down that Miami Beach was going to be my go-to place. So I think from 95 until I eventually moved here in 2015, I was coming to Miami Beach at least once or twice every year. Wow. And so for wow. me, it was like, you know, anytime I wanted to go somewhere, anytime I was ready to, to get up and, and take a vacation, I came to Miami Beach. Two years straight, we came in 95 and 96 for How Can I Be Down. Okay. Um, and, then, uh, and then that ended um, after the first two years, but I still kept coming to Miami Beach. Did you, ha- did you, ha- did you have to convince Dave to want to move here? I did not. 
Okay. Coincidentally, the story is it's funny because um, I proposed to Deb in, um, let's see, December, I guess it may have been 2012. Yeah. No. 2011. Okay. And we decided we would get married in April of 2013. Okay. Is is the date we picked. Um, During that year, or let's see, let's see, from the, the, so the year we got married, 2013, I came to South Beach six times. Okay. And I came down for six tattoo sessions. I got a full piece tattoo done on my back and came down six times. Deb would come down with me. And so one time when we got back to Indianapolis, we went out for dinner one night. And Deb said to me, you know, it was like, I think in November, December, it was cold, it was snowy. And Deb said, you know, what are we doing here? Damn. Why don't we move to Miami Beach? Right. And my response was, Nah, I, I I don't believe you. You know what I'm saying? I, I I can't believe that you would just uproot everything you've built at your life that you've had up until this point and move to Miami Beach. She's like, no, I'm serious. Let's do it. And so um, I had we had uh, we already had a vacation plan that January yeah. to come back. Yeah. So we came down in January, started looking at at apartments and stuff, condos, to see even if it was feasible to make that kind of move for us. Yeah. And so when we got back, Deb put her house up for sale. Damn. And and we That's ended serious. Up, yeah, and we ended up moving down. Okay. So we talked about how you got here. We talked about the rap career. And and you and by the way, y'all have a new album coming out. So we're going to do a plug. Y'all got to Yeah, new- yeah, for for certain. So so just to think about that, to kind of go back in the timeline, me and Larry first started rapping in 88. We put out albums in 94. We put out an album in 96. And we put out an album in 2002. The last time we had recorded was in 2002. Wow. And so out of the blue... And, and and so for let's say twenty years, we had never thought about making music again. That was kind of we we had felt like, or at least I had felt like we were kind of past that. Yeah. That was a chapter of our life, but it wasn't something we were doing anymore. I was moving on to other things. I had other entrepreneurial things I wanted to do. I started my business, Hats and Cigars. And so that was taken off, and I wanted to focus on that. I didn't think about music at all. But a friend of ours that went to Howe High School with us, Sheridan, had reached out to me. As you know, Sheridan's a prominent DJ in Seattle. Okay. And he was coming out with an album in, uh, I believe it was 2021, maybe. And so he reached out to me through in the through uh, social media and wanted to know if we would guest on one of the songs on his album 
Really? And so I didn't. Oh, yeah. And so he sent us the track, and so um, I had reached out to, to to my partner Ray Scratch, the other part of uh, Game Clinic, and and we were like, yeah, we'll we'll do it. So he came down to Miami. We got in the studio down here in Miami called House of Hits. Yeah. Which is a well-known studio down here. A lot of the top artists record there. And so we went in and recorded this song uh, for Sheridan's album. And so getting back in the studio. You got that bug again. Oh, my God. Ah! came back. I mean, everything. I heard it. Everything just came back. And, and so in that session, we recorded the song for Sheridan, but then we had more time available in the studio. So... Of course, Ray Scratch, being the super producer he is, already had a track ready. Wow. And so he put the track on. We recorded the track. And so after that session, we were talking. I was like, man, I can't believe how good this stuff is sounding. It's almost like we never stopped. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's almost like 22 years. We hadn't left the studio one day. And it all just came back just like that. So we felt like we had to make the most of this opportunity and we had to keep going. And so originally we were only planning to do an EP. Yeah. Maybe five songs. So um, Ray Scratch would come back to Miami. We would get in the studio. We would record. And once we got to the five songs, we were like, man, this this ain't enough. It, it's sounding too good to stop at five. Yeah. And so we decided... We would go ahead and go ahead and record a full album. And so it's strange because usually in the creative process of creating our music and doing an album, we would always come in and have an idea before we would go in the studio. That's what would make us so proficient in the studio is that we would always have everything mapped out ahead of time. Yeah. This time wasn't like that. What was funny about this was that the material for the album would just kind of come to me from different places out of the blue, whether it be I could just be in the car listening to the radio yeah. and something would come on yeah. and I'd be like, that sounds like a game clinic track. We need to do that track. And so the creative process was a little different that then the album grew because songs started coming to me in ways that like I said weren't our norm, but they were coming to me. So I felt like they had to be a part of the album. That we we couldn't stop at five. That we needed to add more onto the, onto this project yeah. to create a full album. So we ended up finishing at eleven songs, and uh, we're able to create a new album in 2023 that. I would say is definitely the best work that we've ever done. Through, hey, listen, through, from what I heard, career. from what I heard, what you played for me, yeah. incredible, dude. Yeah. Dude, incredible. Okay, so a couple things I got to get in before we wrap up. Sure, sure. I left Indianapolis 28 years ago and vowed to never move back. Mm -hmm. You left Indianapolis, went to Temple, and then you came here and you've been here uh, eight years. Eight years. Would you ever move back to Indianapolis? Never, no. Right? No. Do I mean, you know, moving here, it's funny. I told Deb when we moved down, because, of course, moving down, we had to pack up a U-Haul and drive down. Yeah. And I told her that was the only time I would drive 
and make that drive was when we came down. Coincidentally, we did have to make that drive during the hurricane one year. Okay. But that's the <laughs> only time. Um, so my mentality when we initially came was that I was coming for good yeah. and I wasn't going back no matter what. It's, it's, it's where you say that because, you know, I've, I've lived in 11 or 12 cities since I left Indianapolis. I went back and worked there for two years, and then I quit my job, cold turkey, man. I, I mm -hmm. came back because mm -hmm. I, I wanted to be an entrepreneur. Right. I wanted to do the podcast. I wanted to finish the book. I wanted to be home with Robin. Mm -hmm. But I knew I didn't want to be there, man. Right. And and right. it's not that I have – it's not that I don't like the people in Indianapolis. and It's not that I don't like the city. I just didn't grow. Mm -hmm. Like I, I felt like for me to become who I am, I had to leave. And for me, I always kind of felt like, and I think this is uh, this also played in some reason why I went to Temple, but I always, to me, felt like I was bigger than Indianapolis. Yeah. Like, to me, Indianapolis constrained me. It yeah. didn't allow me to be my full potential and who I really could be. And I would say that played out pretty well in in the sense of since I've been in Miami, I think that has been able to flourish, and I've really be able been able to come into my own yeah. and really showcase who I can be and what I can do. So well, I think for me, it's been the best move I could have ever made. Now I I I'd, I'd be remiss if I didn't ask how Malachi's doing. Malachi's well, man. I mean. He spent some time down here with us um, this summer. And that's your son? Yeah. Yeah, okay. That's my, that's my only child. Yep. Uh, my son, love him to death. And um, he's back in Indianapolis now. Yeah. You know, he's doing his own thing. He's Did he working. get color eyes like you? Yeah, he's got, he's got the, his are more green than mine. Yeah. Are, but, yeah, he's got the eyes. And he's in the music game as well. Okay. So kind of following in them same footsteps. Um he records and makes music on his own as well as he's engineering and producing other artists. Did you teach well. him that or he just learned on his I own? I did not. But I think really, you know, some of that probably comes from seeing me do it. Okay. Um, and him just kind of being around that. I mean, when he was little, um, just a toddler, young, he was going to the studio with us. Wow. We recording um, our album, Daisy Cutters. He was at the studio a lot of the times with me. So, you know, just kind of seeing that and just kind of, you know, me as a parent kind of instilling in him yeah. a love for music. Yeah. Um, and stuff like that. I always used to, when he was young, I always used to let him watch uh, videos and listen to Parliament Funkadelic and Ooh, stuff like that. So, that, By he, the way, that's so, one of your favorite groups oh, of my, all time, of George course, Clinton. If anybody knows me knows my love for George and P-Funk okay, right. and all that. And a lot of where my musical inspiration comes from. So, you know, I tried to instill that in him and let him see that to kind of understand where it, where the inspiration and stuff came from for me. Yeah. And also... You know how I've taken that inspiration and put it into my music as well. You know? So, so before we wrap up, I, I usually when I when I have conversations like this, I usually finish with uh with this last question. Yeah. You've done a lot of cool stuff. You've you've been a lot of places, dude. You've done tours with Davidoff. You've been to France. Uh, you have your own. Uh, line of hat accessories you're an author 
dude, you're about to be the premier person at a speakeasy. Like you're a fashionista. When you walk in the room, people know who you are, mm -hmm. right? In this world, people know you. Dude, you live in a condo <laughs> overlooking the bay in downtown Miami. Like people come here for vacation. You live here. Right, right. Right? Mm -hmm. So my question for you, everything that you've done, Everything you've achieved, if you could go back and talk to Michael mm -hmm. when he was 14 years old, starting how high school, mm -hmm. what would you tell him? Wow. <laughs> That's a good question. I mean, like the question, you know, if you knew then what you knew now, you know what I'm saying? So, wow, what would I tell myself? Um, it would probably be that no matter what you're going to go through in life, the ups and downs, the obstacles that you will face, no matter what, you're going to come out of it and everything's going to be all right. Ooh. Because, I mean, really for me, that's kind of how my life has been as far as, you know, of course, just what life throws at you. But for me to think that coming through all of that and being at a place that I'm at right now, yeah. sitting here with you on yeah. this balcony, with this view, with this lifestyle that I've been able to, to forge and create for myself, yeah. I never would have thought it would have happened years ago. Years ago, it never looked like this would be anything that I could sit and talk about. So what I would say to myself is no matter what you go through, it will be all right. You will come out of it on top. Wow. And just remember that, to never give up. Listen, I, I, I don't even know how you finish that. Like, <laughs> 38 years. Yeah, man. We're doing a podcast. We're doing my podcast on your balcony. Right. Overlooking Miami Beach with both our books on the table. Exactly. Bro, I mean, who would have thought? Man. Right, exactly. Hey, <laughs> I, the other name I forgot... Deuce Loke. <laughs> ah! You're right. Mike You're Chill, right. Deuce Loke, Mo Green. Listen, brother Mike Brown, a.k.a. Yeah. the Hat Ambassador, a.k.a. Yes, Mike Chill, yes. a.k.a. Mo Green. Yeah. Brother, thanks for being a friend. Thank 38 you. years. Thank you, man. And, I appreciate uh, it. And, man, listen, much success. You we, already know. We're going to open up that cigar lounge one day. Yeah, That's for coming. sure, man. All right. Listen, I'm going to switch to this camera. Uh, thank you all for tuning in again. For the night edition of the In His Voice podcast. It was a great episode. I hope y'all enjoyed it. And remember, the advice he gave is no matter what you go through in life, just don't give up. Keep pushing. I promise you, everything you want, everything you want to achieve is on the other side of I can't, I won't, or I'll stop. Get those out of your vocabulary and keep going. And I'll see you next time on the In His Voice podcast with me, Rob L. Lowe. We out.